going on, everybody? Welcome back to Sweat and Grime. You've got Brian, you got Rick, you got MMFT in the house. And on the phone, we've got Chad Miller with PSG Job Veteran Placement. Chad, how are you, sir? Doing outstanding. How are you? You're doing fantastic. We're doing great over thank here. You, yeah. uh, thanks, thanks for, for agreeing to be on tonight. the podcast. Absolutely. So as we kind of fire off, as we always do with our guests, we would love to start not talking about what you do, but how you came to be where you are today. So can you kind of give us a little history on on Chad and, and where you've been in life and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, I grew up in Western North Carolina, uh, went to high school in Asheville, North Carolina, and ended up going to Western Carolina University, did ROTC in college and took a commission in the army, uh, served three years active duty in the 101st airborne division and, uh, had a great time with that. And as we'll probably talk about tonight, didn't know what I was going to do when I grew up, when I left the military service. So I ended up getting into the, uh, commercial industry. When I say that I'm talking trucks, tires, heavy equipment, forklift, a lot of the areas that we talk about. And I went to work for a major tire manufacturer as a, as a sales rep and um, went to work for that. Uh, basically spent a career with that manufacturer in, in one of their dealer networks and ended up being the director of sales for the Southeastern United States. Uh, and then basically started a, a sales and leadership uh, training and development organization in 2011, and that has morphed into we're continuing to do that, but we're also uh, into a uh, recruiting situation. So I know I'm not supposed to get into what exactly we're we're doing, but uh, so I'm I'm a military guy turned corporate, turned entrepreneur, and just a uh, a fan of the trades, a fan of blue collar, a fan of bringing back uh, that spirit to America and, you know, keeping America rolling with, you know, good, good quality trades and also military veterans. And we can get more into that as we go. Yeah. So uh, just kind of diving into your military career. So you were in the 101st. Um, what areas of the world did you get to see doing that? Isn't that the boys Man. who jump out of the airplane? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we are, How so are your knees a big, holding up. Oh, the <laughs> knees are terrible. The knees are terrible. I, uh, yeah, I wake up feeling like a 60, I'm 45 and I wake up feeling like 65 yeah. you know, every morning. But, uh, I was in what's called a, uh, an air assault unit. So the difference between the, there's two major airborne divisions. There's a few more, but the 82nd and the 101st, 82nd is a true parachute infantry, uh, division where they're actually using parachutes. The 101st is more of a helicopter or heliborne operation. So things like you saw on Black Hawk Down, those, that was a Ranger and Delta Force uh, operation, but it's more landing helicopters and just hopping out. And then also fast roping out of the side, like a fireman's pole. And then some, some repelling, you do repelling in air assault school, but there's not a lot of repelling that happens on most operations. So it's all hella born with, uh, Blackhawks and Chinooks. <clears throat> I, uh, I was in actually in a weird time and, and, uh, you know, I, I hate this in some ways and I'm grateful in some ways, but i served from 1998 until 2001. So literally I was in the first week of my civilian sales career in the tire industry when the twin towers went down. Oh, wow. 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 So, so I literally missed everything. Yeah. So I, I would agree with that. It's in a way it's a blessing and in another way it's a bit of a, a frustrating curse. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, you wear, you wear a combat patch on one shoulder. If you've been to combat, mm-hmm. you wear a unit patch on the other shoulder. And so when I served, if you had a combat patch, you were like a God, yeah. you know, like nobody, nobody had them. It, you know, it was like all these Vietnam guys that were, you know, yep. getting out and you know, that kind of stuff. And so nowadays, if you don't have a combat patch, you're like a chump, you know, you're like, what's wrong <laughs> yeah. with you? You haven't been, de- you haven't been deployed. What are you, so, a fucking tire salesman? <laughs> right, right. So we did a lot of, I tell people all the time, is that we did a lot of simulated warfare. I mean, we, we trained in 101st, we were in the field, or what we call the back 40, mm-hmm. you know, 150 plus days a year. And that was, you know, full wow. live-scale training operations, helicopters, rifle ranges, you know, simulated munitions, laser, you know, versions of, we call it miles gear, but laser tag, it's a lot fancier these days, but we were simulating warfare, you know, looking to go fight North Korea, Russia, you know, whoever our, whoever our adversary was at the time. So we simulated a lot of warfare and we did the missions. I just wasn't in combat. That's all right, yeah. though. You were on well, standby. Hey, thank you for your service, by the yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it for anything. I call it my on-the-job master's degree. Now, why you were running? Like that. Now, why you were running into service? What was your favorite part about it? The likes and dislikes. Well, I, I had a lot of nostalgic, uh, you know, preferences for the 101st. You know, if you look back in World War II and Band of Brothers and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. the 101st is just an iconic unit. So I very much enjoyed being part of the 101st. You know, wearing jump boots and the uniform and, and just to me, the, the most important thing and most fantastic thing that I enjoy and miss was just the helicopter operations. Like I love still to this day, I wanted to be a pilot, but I have bad eyesight. Yeah. Back, and back then you couldn't, you couldn't get your vision corrected. These days you can have laser correction and still be a pilot, but if so you, you got had, robbed, yeah, if you got bad vision back when I was in, it was immediately disqualified you for aviation branch. And so, um, I was not able to be a pilot. And, but uh, I love anything aviation, especially helicopters. So Blackhawks, Chinooks, the Little Birds, and so I, you know, there's times when I, you know, simulating warfare where I was hanging out of the side of a Blackhawk at, you know, three o'clock in the morning with night vision goggles on, and <laughs> That's it's, so it's, cool. it's 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 cool, you know, it's like a, it's, so it, it, it was it, it was awesome, you know. So I miss that. Um, that you know, if I could go back today, that would be well, I'd say it was my favorite part of the of, of the operations and training. Um, you know, like I said, it's a double edged sword. I'm remorseful that I didn't get to participate in combat, but I'm also grateful for, you know, my family and yeah. you know, people that know, know me that, you know, I didn't have to do, I guess it, it was one of those things where the stars aligned properly and mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to be there and whatnot, yeah. but I was, I was willing to go, willing to serve. It just, it just didn't happen. All right. So, so I've got to counter with the question of what was the worst part of being in the military? Like to me, it's waking up super early and being sleep deprived all the time, but but from I, you, yeah, I'd have to say when the drill sergeant come in yelling at you, and you got to make your bed. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, that's, uh, it's that's like major pain and shit, like the movie, right? Yeah, it's like, a we gotta go, and you gotta make your bed and shit real quick. Oh my god! It's a combination of that stuff. It's like I would, I would say the things that I did not enjoy the most is what you mentioned. Is I, it, it became a new normal for me, which mm-hmm. was the really early mornings. 
in, in fact, the first year I was out, um, I, I, did, I, I made a mistake and kind of quit what we call PT or physical training. Yeah. I stopped, I stopped PT in for about six months to I'd say six to nine months. And I quickly, uh, acquired about 30 pounds. Um, and, and so, you know, I did not realize the benefit of doing that every morning, what it was doing to my body. Yeah. And so I'd say getting up early and then also the, um, the cold, like I could handle just burying, yeah, being out in the elements. Yeah, but just the middle of the night, you know, freezing and just, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of, of cold weather. So, um, so, you know, just being out there and, and doing that. But I, I tell you, the camaraderie is second to none. Uh, and really, and really what, you know, I was for, I was an officer. So I, I got out as a captain. So I, I went in as a brand new second lieutenant. And, you know, I was forced into a leadership role at, at 22 years old. I was in charge of 36 soldiers. Oh, wow. And and my number two, who was I was his boss, quote unquote, his, my platoon sergeant was a 15 year veteran Iraq combat time in, in Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Wow. And I suddenly I became his boss. How did that, that be work? awkward? Was it was it from an educational standpoint that you were promoted over him? Or how, ROTC, how did that right? work? Yeah, so it's doing the ROTC in college, you take a commission and you enter you enter the army as a commissioned officer. And gotcha. so every every unit has, you know, for the army it's a platoon and then a, a company and then a battalion size element. But I was a platoon leader. So the platoon leader is always a commissioned officer. And then the platoon sergeant, which is number two, is normally a you know, an E seven which is like a sergeant first class or something like that. That's right. got around fifteen years experience. And so you're suddenly catapulted into a position of leadership that over people and they know that you have no clue what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and so I think that was, that was one of the difficult periods is all of a sudden I was in charge, but I was probably the least knowledgeable guy, you know, as far as practical knowledge, I had plenty yeah. of book knowledge mm-hmm. and, you know, doctrine and, you know, that kind of thing. I've been to the schoolhouse on many things and, but I, I didn't know the, uh, the practical or the tribal knowledge, you the know, real life. You know, Right, right, yep. right. Now, Chad, I got two questions for you. Um, it's one, but we're going to make it two, just so he could break <laughs> it Rick, up. Rick was secretly telling me he had one question, and then he just told me he has two. <laughs> right. It's a podcast. Like People like to hear. Now, the first question would be, how old were you when you entered, and how old were you when you got out? But on that same question, who were you as an individual when you entered, and then what did you become when you were man really questions wow you're going like, like full it. philosophical like goddamn yeah yeah <laughs> i love it i love it so i would consider my when i entered so 22 to 25 is the age range um and so you know really the tail end of 21 but by the time i got really rocking i did three years active duty so tw- the 22 to 25 years was when i was in um going in i would consider myself i was pr- pretty rigid guy because i did rotc in high school and so i was the uh, i was i did air force rotc in high school and i was the squadron commander the highest ranking cadet in my high school unit so i was the i was the commander if you, you know the, the cadet lieutenant colonel or whatever right. um so, so i'd already been in that environment and i was a I was kind of a, a geek, like my friends in high school and college called me Red Dawn. Like I was a guy that had, had like the bug out bag. And Excellent. You know, I was always I was always watching like you know, Red Dawn and Bat Twenty One and you know Top Gun and you know all these all these movies in the eighties and nineties. And so I was just like a geek on all things military. So I was just like itching for the chance to go in. 
Um, and then I would say coming out of the military, you know, the military is very humbling and you, you can go in and, and it's, you know, it's, you find out real quick. It's, it's really, I mean, the movies are getting better these days, but it's, it's really nothing like the movies that, you know, there's, there's a few of them that are out there that are, that are, um, I don't know, technically, uh, accurate as far as, you know, weapons and how things work and that kind of thing. But there's still so much Hollywood, but Tropic uh, Thunder, yeah, I, that's, that's more kind of the experience you yeah. actually got or Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> right. totally, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. First blood, first blood yeah. <laughs> Shrek with a paintball gun. <laughs> right. Right. But well, he did uh, say he was playing laser tag. So, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we did do that. We did do that. But I, I think the thing that, um, just, makes you grow up really quick. And that's why I call it the on the job master's degree is I, I could, I could care less about an MBA. And I tell people that all the time. I was like, I would never get one. No offense to anybody that has one, but I said, I think I learned way more in the 101st than I would of any MBA program. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, I'd go into a leadership role at 22 years old, leading 36 soldiers, not knowing really what I was supposed to do and then having to kind of fake it till I make it and ask a lot of questions and be humble. And I really, I, I think the biggest lesson I learned and what I try to teach, um, you know, dealers in our space and, and people like that is that you never should underestimate the creativity or the, you know, the idea production or the value of your lowest ranking labor. Yeah. And so some, sometimes, you know, I would sit and have chats with privates, private first classes and just be humbled by what they would bring to me. And then I think the most important thing and the biggest smiles I ever got is if I went up to a private first class and said, Hey, you know what? I'm struggling with this common task right here. You know, I don't know how to climb this rope properly or do this obstacle or, you know, clear this rifle the best. You're like, would you teach me? And you just see this huge smile come on their face. Absolutely, sir. I got you. And it would, you would gain trust by doing that, by humbling yourself and not acting like a know-it-all. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So now I do have one last question on the military experience. How often as you were flying into the laser tag zone in your Black Hawk helicopter, were you listening to Highway to the Danger Zone in your earbuds? <laughs> <laughs> well, at first, the earbuds did not exist. <laughs> that's, uh, that's true. So it was... Kind of hard to hold uh, that disc, man. Uh, the yeah. disc, man, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. So if you're a fan of Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. uh, you remember Andy Dufresne, he said you can never take the music out of your brain. It's inside your heart. It's inside your head. So I would say several flights I was thinking about really badass music but uh I, there was there was no way to listen to it i can see just chad hanging out just one foot like highway to hell can you hear it <laughs> so um i know you've got a little bit different experience because you weren't out in active combat but still going from the super super rigid military life to civilian life what was that transition like and how shocking was that to kind of come back to the lazy schedule of the typical american yeah i I think it varies for all service members and you know different jobs that happen within the four you know or five major services now six with space force i I really don't know a lot about space force but you know the traditional five services (laughs) Um, there's lots of different jobs. And so, and there's lots of different, uh, tempos that I, as I would call them. So if you're, you're going into a, a unit like the 101st or the 82nd or the 10th mountain division, or, you know, part of the 18th airborne Corps, there's a, there's different standards 
it's a little more rah-rah, a little more physically demanding, mm-hmm. um, a little more non-forgiving when it comes to like procedures and safety, you know, so we were learning how to sling load or, or, you know, sling load vehicles, artillery pieces underneath helicopters. So you would, you know, prepare a vehicle, let's say a Humvee or a piece of artillery to be picked up by a Blackhawk or a Chinook. And so that that's called a sling load operation. And if you didn't, you had to go to air assault school to be able to do that. And if you didn't get it technically correct, you know, you're putting the load at jeopardy. So you could lose the load. You're putting the helicopter at jeopardy. You could lose the entire helicopter. And most importantly, you could put in lives at jeopardy. Yep. So I think that entering into the civ- civilian world, people aren't that, you know, on the edge of their seat. Like, Hey, if we get this wrong, people are going to die. You know, it's a, it's, it's more, it's way more forgiving and it's a lot more relaxed atmosphere. So one of the biggest things that I do now in counseling and preparing military veterans to exit service and enter the military world, is I say, never stop having this rigorous standard for yourself, Mm -hmm. but don't expect the civilian organization that you join nor your civilian teammates to keep up or exceed what you're trying to do. And and I really wouldn't shame them for not having that kind of intensity because they haven't been in that environment. Yep. So, and I say, what, what I, what I want you to do is let actions speak over words. So just work hard, work hard, be coachable, learn your stuff, knock it out as best you can. And then have the other people around you say, Hey, this guy's getting after it. And he's not being boastful about it. He's just a hard worker. Mm-hmm. That's all super solid advice. But man, the whole time you're talking, all I can envision is Gary from accounting with Jack Nicholson standing <laughs> over him from a few good men. People's lives are on the line. <laughs> now, be, now, before we start walking away from the deepness of the military venture, when you were that rigid 22-year-old guy and you could have choose Space Force, what do you think it would have been back then? versus now like what would you imagined what it would space force would it be like yeah, yeah not not today but as you were a 22 year old man back in 98 uh, i probably would not have chosen it as a, as a branch um, <laughs> do all of the other branches I, collectively laugh at space force <laughs> i think so you know it's it's it's, it's 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 like an unknown right now i mean yeah. i think that you know depending on what circles you follow what podcasts you know you listen to what what theories you believe in it, you know there's some things that are extraterrestrial that could be a, a massive threat you know yep. there's there's things there's weapons there's satellites there's there's a that's it's kind of like the wild west up there where things can happen so i do think it needs to be policed and governed and protected but i think people just don't understand enough about it um but i, I will say there is a lot of jarring between the four major services especially the army and the marines versus the air force and navy and, yeah and so it's that, that old adage is like hey if we have to go somewhere to fight the, the other service gives us a ride you know that kind of thing so mm-hmm. like if the marines are going somewhere the navy transports them if the army's going somewhere the air force transport transports them yeah and so there's you know and and you look across the four services and there's very degrees of how they use their budgets so we used to say you know especially the marines the marines get the crappiest equipment um, they get the last stuff and, and they're the toughest guys so, you know, we always say there's, and this is, you know, cliche, but there's no fat Marines. I don't care if you're a, <laughs> if you're a cook or, a, you know, whatever your job first and foremost as a Marine is a rifleman. Yeah. 
And so, and they, they're shooting, you know, weapons that are kind of a couple series old. They're the last people to get new things. And the Army and the Marines tend to spend money on, on weapons and, and equipment, equipment before yeah, barracks and that kind of thing. Where we used to have a joke that said the Air Force, they build, you know, um, dining facilities and barracks, and then they beg the money, they beg the government for more money to buy planes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like they, they live a very uh, cush lifestyle. My son was a, was a possible candidate for the Air Force Academy for football a couple of years ago, and we went on the Air Force Academy football tour, and the, the recruiting uh, officer got up and said, we're known as the Gucci of service academies, and, we don't, <laughs> and we're proud to and we're proud to say that. Oh, so we're not going to make any bones about that. That's yeah. awesome. It's awesome to hear that they kind of embrace it too, instead of getting all butt hurt about that sort what of stuff. What would the Space Force Academy be like? Like you got to watch oh, Star Wars and shit, exactly. and think about riding like a mediator. <laughs> In- <laughs> Independence Day. You got to watch Independence Day. Day. Yeah. Now this is what's gonna be like, guys. Men in black, and you need the thing to shoot the zombies and aliens. They got like, a new series on Netflix. It's pretty good. It's hilarious. What's, oh, Space Force. Oh, do they? Oh, it's hilarious. Oh, it, yeah, it's got Steve Carell yep, in it. Yeah, yep, yeah. I've been wanting to watch that. I saw that. Yeah, I saw it was I pretty comical. It turns out that is actually documentary footage of Space Force. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Now, a live look in. Live look in. Yeah. Now, as you as you started making your way into the civilian life, and you started to find your identity back on the private sector, how did you start transitioning into everything and kind of start walking us down the path where you came to today? Yeah. So you know, I, I didn't. I always make this joke when I'm talking to people that I say, you know, especially our transitioning non commissioned officers and officers. And even our junior enlisted guys, as I say, you know, don't be too concerned about how your education, whether it's high school or college, you know, high school, some college, full college, your job, we call it in the Army, a military occupational specialty or MOS, mm-hmm. how your education, your MOS, and your first civilian career, how those line up, because I have a degree in criminal justice. My job in the 101st Airborne was short-range air defense artillery, so we were shoulder-fire stinger missiles that took out enemy aircraft. That sounds badass. Yeah. (laughs) So we were basically we would be along with the infantry on the ground, and we would take out enemy aircraft if that if there was a threat. And then my first job was selling uh, 18-wheeler and earth mover equipment construction tires. And then when I went to work for for the tire manufacturer. I uh, I knew that tires were round and black, and so well you're, but, you're right, halfway I, there, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, right, that's right. most of the information yeah, yeah, you right. need. <laughs> right. They're round, they're black, and so and so what I what I learned, I went to a ninety day sales school where I learned all the technical knowledge and the product knowledge, and then what I learned was that, and I tell people this all the time, is that you you've been selling since you were a little kid. So you're asking for another cookie to stay up late. You know, you're selling when you're trying to date, <laughs> you're, you're selling every day. And so, and then I also realized that I had a pretty thick a skin. Way to look at it. I've never even thought about it that way. Should I call that begging? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. My, my cookie jar at home is not. Well, I was about to full. say my, some people are better at sales than others. I was going to say my six year old daughter is one hell of a saleswoman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And you don't realize that you have that on board. And then the second thing I realized was that I was really tough skinned and able to take rejection really well. Yeah, that's every, key. Every other day I was having my ass handed to me by some colonel or general 
or even a Sergeant Major, you know, or some somebody, you know, and I respect the Sergeant Major rank probably the most out of the whole army is it's a senior enlisted rank and it's, you know, it's a very experienced person that really knows mm -hmm. what they're doing. And, um, I've had the pleasure of spending time around a lot of Sergeant majors and I, I love that rank. But, uh, in fact, I've got coins. We do these challenge coins where you give each other coins for different achievements and stuff like that. And my most prized coin is from a Sergeant major and that's the highest enlisted rank. So per technically I outranked them, but it, it was the highest rank, you know, on the enlisted side, but yeah, um, I, you know, I would get my butt chewed. And so I compare today's, you know, brand new high school graduate or a college graduate and they go into a sales role, they're going to take rejection a lot harder. And let's say they go into a technician role. Um, if they get the, you know, the, the, the technical operation in the shop wrong, they're going to take that a lot harder Where in the military, you you kind of embrace failure. You're like, okay, I screwed that up. So how do I do it better next time? Yeah. And you don't hmm. take it as hard. You just kind of get up and dust off and keep moving. Yep. Very good. So that is, I get, I get asked all the time from people on YouTube, is military experience helpful? Do, do, will people want me if I've got military experience, even though I've never been around equipment? And that's exactly my response is, you know, the fact that you were in the military says you can get your ass chewed and you'll show back up. You're used to sleep deprivation and long hours. You are used to, you know, being you out in order. the elements. You know how to take orders. You know how to be organized and stay on top of your You're task. You're hired. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I think a lot of veterans um, come out with a lot of the, the kind of self-conscious things that you were just talking about. They feel like they aren't equipped because they don't have a piece of paper that tells us tells everyone that they got this special certification. But they're in reality some of the most qualified individuals for a lot of positions mm -hmm. yeah 100 well, one of the things that really breaks my heart is when i go to army installations and i ask the, you know one of the one of the first things i ask is hey what's your mos i ask you know, where do you want to live what do you want to do you know what's your mos when you getting out what is MOS? MO the military occupational specialty so okay. that's their we just job. covered that you need to I was, listen i was just <laughs> the abbreviations sure. kick our ass <laughs> <laughs> There'll be remedial training afterwards. That's Jim. what I was about to say. Quiz, yes, pop quiz at the end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but one of the things that makes me sad is that I'll say, what's your MOS or military occupational specialty? And, and the soldier will kind of drop their head and they'll say 11 Bravo and 11 Bravo is infantry. And I'll say, why did you drop your head? Hold your head up high. And I was like, that's the most important job in the military. And I was like, if we don't have infantry, we don't have really anything. And so yeah. mm -hmm. I was like, what, what, what you don't even realize right now is what you, you know, what your value proposition to the civilian world is, is that you're, you show up on time, you do what you say you're going to do. You're an outstanding problem solver. You're good with adversity. Um, you know, you figure out a way to get it done. You know how to navigate, you, you know, you know, you've been through hard times. You can embrace difficult situations where people might not, you know, you, you know, the, the air conditioning goes out in the shop or the heat goes out in the shop. You're going to care less because you've been sleeping in a ditch. Yeah. Right. You've been sleeping in a ditch somewhere at three o'clock in the morning, whatever. So they have all the, and I was like, you've got great leadership skills. And that's one of the things that I really challenge dealers and manufacturers and anybody bringing on somebody, especially in a technical role is I was like, Hey, don't be too quick to disqualify a military veteran just because they, they don't have technical expertise. Mm -hmm, you know, yeah. they may have a desire. They could have grown up on a farm. They could have fixed their dad's 
farm equipment, whatever, and then they decided to join the infantry or the field artillery or aviation or whatever. Yeah. But you can teach them whatever it is that you do. And so, you know, I think we've gotten away from the apprenticeship model in, in society. And I think we need to bring back the old adage of, of guys apprenticing under these 20 and 30 year veterans, because those guys are getting ready to retire. Yeah. That's what and we're we chasing after. God dang, yeah, dude. We, I feel like what he just verbally said, and you look at like the new guy that's just applying applying to your job or your company. Mm-hmm. I'd look at him and go, "So what do you got to offer besides like you know how to run the telephone, social media accounts?" Then you look at the guy with the military background. I'd just be like, "You know, you gonna hire him or you gonna hire this guy?" I'd be like, "You got two or three more of those guys coming." Yeah. Yep. Like, yeah. So that's kind of yeah. this is kind of a good transition point. Not you know not to discredit <clears throat> your your time uh, selling construction tires and everything but at the same time like how did you transition and what made you kind of decide to pursue doing a veteran placement program and how did you kind of fixate on on the uh dealer industry to focus on yeah so so just tracing back a little bit you know i found when i you know i found that i was pretty good at sales and 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 great at sales management and i had a passion for training and development and so 2011, I started Performance Solutions Group. That's the PSG and PSG Jobs. And we're primarily, and still today, are a sales and leadership consulting firm. Like I do large-scale leadership development programs and sales training workshops with dealers across the country. But I kept hearing this, this battle cry, if you will, from VPs of sales, VPs of service, dealer principals when i would go and meet with them i would say hey you know we're i'm designing some new training some new curriculum for next year you know what what do we need to train on where are you guys where are the training gaps where are we weak you know what do you want to train on and they would say hey if you can figure out a way to fix recruiting in our industry it'll be great for everybody including yourself and i said okay well let me go whiteboard that and i got together with a good friend of mine named simon he's a navy veteran and we put together you know, some, some whiteboards and kind of talked it out and, and, and came up with PSG jobs, veteran placement. I said, Hey, we can go find the young men and women of character that we know are there. And then we can, you know, not only prepare them for a civilian career. So do a, do a service to our fellow veterans, but also provide our partner employers in our, you know, we focused on dealer groups because it's the same kind of model. Mm -hmm. Um, We can provide them with great team members. So we focus on four major dealer models. That's going to be commercial truck, heavy equipment, uh, commercial tire, and then forklift material handling because they have all the same OEM dealer model. There's parts, service, sales. It's all all the same thing. So, so my customers kept asking me for great people. So we, we, we developed basically a product that says, Hey, I'm going to go find you military veterans. I'm going to vet them out for you. And then I'm going to skills match them, location match them. And I'm going to deliver them to you on a silver platter, like ready to hire. That's amazing. Well, first off, I just want to say thank you for helping these guys actually find a job and a place in this environment, because I feel like they run the gauntlet and the ringer. And then once they're done, it's just like, there's the wayside yeah and then they come out not feeling so appreciative like you did so i think they're a phenomenal fit in the trades all around with such or any skill set and assets to it that i feel like we there's you're just touching the surface on getting them into the dealership side but just getting them into the construction industry 
I don't feel like we're doing enough because this is a perfect fit for the people I have served. Well, that's what I was going to say is, is there any way we can turn your, your ray gun of veteran labor over into the trade space as opposed to the yeah. dealer space? Cause we'll eat them up. <laughs> well, and that, and that's actually an honest question because we are hurting so bad Yeah, for the trades and obviously there's a fit for everybody. So how, how do you see something like this playing into the lack of trades these days, Chad? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are tapping into that as far and and I have, I have teenage kids and I've been talking to my kids and then also friends and friends, kids. And, and we're trying to tell them like, Hey, trades is like the treasure box of the future. And I was like, because there's so many kids that are just sitting in Starbucks today, you know, wanting, wanting to program or not do a whole lot. And, and, and I'm looking around, you know, a house or a car or, or anything. And I was like, the people that are going to come and fix those things that break are far and few between these days. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's ton, there's tons of money. I met, I met a young man uh, about five years ago, I'd purchased a house and he came to service my Bosch. I think it was Bosch dishwasher. And he had been uh, an air force veteran. So he served 20 years in the air force as a firefighter. Uh, he's collecting full air force retirement. He went to Bosch dishwashing repair school, whatever they got certified, came out, was making $40 an hour fixing dishwashers. And he was also working part-time for the local fire department. So he had three streams of income Wow! and, and he learned a great trade. And I'm telling you, I've tried to dork around with a Bosch refrigerator and a Bosch dishwasher and I threw the towel in. Well, I'm going to tell you, (laughs) it is not your typical piece of equipment. Bosch does not sponsor this podcast, but God damn, do they make a fine dishwasher? Oh yeah. I, I'm a fan of the Bosch dishwasher. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that you know that we would love to get more veterans in trades. And what I'm finding is that there's some good programs that are coming about right now. Um, there's the uh, career skills program through the military where uh, organizations are going through a certification process and they're able to bring on military veterans basically for free while mm-hmm. they, they are still making their military income for you know, a period of months before they actually separate from the military. Mm-hmm. And that's so amazing. there, there's some, you know, there's some rules around that and certifications and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But I think that's great. Um, but I'm seeing, you know, HVAC companies get, get involved. I'm yeah. seeing, you know, a lot of people that are willing, willing to trade, uh, or, or to train in trades. But yeah. I also think that the end user, the construction companies, the, the non-dealer people could use that. And then I've just focused on dealers just because that's what we do right now. But, you know, I'm yeah. always looking to expand in other areas. So obviously we don't want you to give away any trade secrets, but what is your process? How do you go about finding these veterans? What's your process for kind of prepping them and transitioning them over? How does that whole process work? Yeah. So we're, um, so our value prop is we're, is we're basically not only providing military veterans, we're providing the best military veterans. And so, um, I, I'm not a, a headhunter by trade nor a recruiter by trade. So this is something that I birthed based on customers asking me for this. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there's a lot of people in our industry that what I would call, you know, not to sling mud, but I would call them resume herders. Yeah. They're just slinging resumes, hoping that you're going to bite on one. Send out 5,000, they get commissioned on 10. Yeah. 
Yeah. Correct. Correct. So they just want to do that. So we're, we're more of like the Jerry Maguire, you know, and I'll date myself a little bit saying that movie, but we're money. more like, show me the money. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're the more, but we're the, we're the less clients, more relationships, that kind of, that kind of organization where we want to seek out organizations that are not only military friendly, but we help them to be military ready. And they have a heart for veterans. They have apprenticeship models. They have, opportunities for the veterans to, you know, get vested in a tool program, you know, you know, I was just talking to a, literally a, like yesterday, I was talking to a track vehicle mechanic coming out of Fort, uh, Carson, Colorado. And I said, Hey, he's been working on track vehicles. So tanks, Mm -hmm. infantry fighting vehicles, field artillery vehicles, uh, been working on track vehicles for his whole career. And I said, Hey, do you have any tools? He said, Nope. Only the tools the army gives me. And I was like, okay, well you've got the skill. So let me put you with a dealer that says, Hey, you know, we're going to provide you X thousand dollars worth of tools. And if you stay here X number of years, they're yours. Yeah. You know, but, but so many dealers disqualify people like, do you have five grand worth of tools? No. Okay. Well you can't work here. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, I'm like, well, well, you just threw away some really great character that could have been an amazing team member and they got qualified because of a monetary investment that they really didn't need to make because the military furnished everything they needed. Yeah. Have you used that phrase of show me the money and then help (laughs) him get some tools and through. <laughs> yeah, I was when I said when I said Jerry Maguire, I was mostly focused on the uh, less clients. Closer yeah, to I, 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 I jumped back. Yeah, I, I caught that one. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I like to show I, me the money better. But, but that's what I do as a. He yeah, comes fully so prepared, boys. I'll snap on. That's it. That's it. I come. You know, I, I try to use that as a leverage point when I'm talking to the dealers that want to hire these guys. Mm-hmm. As I say, hey, you know. They're not going to have tools and even in sales roles, you know, a lot of traditionally dealer sales roles have been heavy commission based. Yep. And I think that model's changing a lot, but I, I even convince our, our sales guys to say, Hey, this person's used to getting a government paycheck. So you can't start them out on a hundred percent commission. Yeah. Their spouse is not going to understand that. Yeah. 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 They're not going to understand that. So you're going to have to pay them a salary until they understand this and then they're going to blow it up. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, 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 what our organization brings to the table is I've seen both sides and I can educate the dealers on how, you know, and the companies, the the end users on how to do this and how to properly onboard a military veteran Mm -hmm. and understand what's going on in their heads. So, uh, again, not to, to dive into super detailed numbers on your end, but roughly ballpark numbers. How many veterans are you guys placing a year? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, we were severely hindered during 20 and, and 21 because of the COVID restrictions. I was going to say, so, what, what made that happen? Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah. say, how did that impact you? What specifically was, was happening that was impacting the business? So we found that there's no substitute for uh, live events. And so most of your military installations on a non-COVID year, we make about 30 live military installation visits a year as an organization. And so those are coast to coast, you know, from Fort Bragg, North Carolina and Camp Lejeune and Norfolk, Virginia, all the way to the other side to San Diego, Navy base, Camp Pendleton, and up into Joint Base Lewis McCord in the Pacific Northwest, and all points in between. So your wow. Campbells, you your Braggs, 
Yeah, your Hoods, your Carsons, you know, Drum, you know, we, we recruit heavy coast to coast. And then I'm aligned with certain organizations that will do some uh, what we call OCONUS or outside the continental United States opportunities where we get to go to Europe, uh, uh, Okinawa, different, you know, sometimes outside the United States or outside the continental United States, we get to do some events in uh, Hawaii and Alaska. And so we try to go meet the, the service people, service members where they are mm-hmm. and get them ready about a year in advance to transition and so when covid came around basically all of those large-scale events were canceled yep and they went to virtual and so uh i won't name a a particular installation but there's a massive installation in the country that normally when we go to a live event there about 2400 soldiers would come through the building (laughs) and we would we would talk to about 100 to 200 and then we would come away with the information of about 30 or 40 that we were really serious about working with that kind of felt that, that worked our model that same installation recently had a virtual event and we had in a four-hour virtual airing we had 17 people visit our virtual booth and we came away with two people Ooh, that we were yeah, that's a, interested yeah, in helping. that's a very big hit it's hard to convince people that it's worth their time to do a virtual event mm-hmm. Yeah. So it look it, it briefs well, it looks good on paper. Mm-hmm. It you know the military installations are saying, hey, we're working around the ins- the uh, restrictions, but we're going to make it virtual. But we still had a, a successful event or whatnot, and it may be successful in that they organize it and they have people show up. But the impact of At actually the end helping of the day, service you members what you typically do. Yeah, yeah. So it's so that that's been the biggest hit. But on a on a typical year, you know, we were rocking and rolling. You know, we, we've placed hundreds of veterans through the years. You know, we've wow. been doing this for about six years now. Uh, but COVID really, really put a damper on what we were doing. And so I would tell you now is I have, I have really no shortage of organizations that want to hire military veterans. I have a shortage of veterans. Wow. And so just because I'm not out to, and that's one of the things that we kind of pride ourselves on is we, we like to go out and meet people face to face, shake hands, see how they hold themselves in front of us. And then in this day and age, you know, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit, but it's really hard to try to understand the new generations and how they are wired and operate because, you know, some of the, some of the basic things that we, that we tell our candidates all the time. And, and this is, it baffles me because I'm just old school, but like most candidates don't have a formal voicemail. If, if they have their voicemail set up at all, they may just have a, you know, you have reached the voicemail of six, one, five. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. yeah. <laughs> there's no, there's no actual voicemail. They do not have a professional email, so it's like you know, Mad Dog sixty nine at Yahoo. You know, <laughs> yeah, so baby. Now, yeah. now, Chad, can you break that email down for us? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? What exactly is wrong with Mad Dog sixty nine? <laughs> I mean, think about that for a sec. Mad Dog sixty nine. <laughs> Yeah. This dude was an animal, a fucking yeah. animal. He's freaking hired. Yeah. Please tell me about no, your career, son. That's it. There's no, there's no professional email. There's no email signature. There's no uh, 
you know, they're not returning emails. They're not returning voicemails. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, the, the, the four or five things right there off the bat that we educate veterans on is like, you got to do this. Like I was talking to a guy today, he's a strong candidate. And I said, I said, Hey, I called your voicemail. I had to email him. I called his voicemail. You don't have a voicemail set up. I recommend that you set up a voicemail immediately because you're going to be getting calls from hiring managers in the next week or two. Yep. And they, they need the ability to leave you a message. And if you have a, a professional sounding voicemail, they're going to be impressed by that. And Do they so, just say, Hey, just know, shoot me a text. That's how I talk. Yeah. To that's uh, you get that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Shoot me a text. No, I don't yeah, want to shoot, shoot you a text. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's My funny. Rule is, we, we, if you, it's over three texts, it's a phone call. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, we use a uh, software system that we capture information from our soldiers and sailors, airmen, Marines, when we're at installations. And one of the screens says, what is your preferred method of communication? And it has phone, email, text. And so, you know, they, they tell us what they want to do. And we try to contact them on that medium. Mm-hmm. But, um, but you have to use some non-conventional ways. This, you know, for instance, like if a 23-year-old service member these days calls you, they're, they're not going to leave you a voicemail. But their expectation is that you'll call them back. Right. Just because, right. Just because they called you. Yep. Where I'm the school of thought, if you don't leave me a voicemail, I'm not going to call you back because it wasn't that important. Well, and it goes the opposite direction. So I was in sales for a long time, and now you'll leave this freaking lengthy voicemail with literally every piece of information you want to tell them, and they call you back five minutes later and go, what's up? Yeah. (laughs) Dude. Right. Did you not get the voicemail notification where I spent five minutes? It's a caller ID now. (laughs) Now, Chad, you're in that uh, mind frame. And I'm sure you thought about lawyers chasing uh, ambulances. Have you ever thought about seeing the car that just went by and says military retired sticker and chase them down? <laughs> I, was, I was wondering where you were going with that. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Pulling pull, pull right in front of him. Yeah, like, right. Stop. Yeah, stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, business is tight. Yeah. He's getting ready to toss you over the hood. You're like, I got a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't gone that far, but I will, I will shamelessly say that I, uh, when I go for medical treatment at the local, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, but I go to the local VA hospital I, I don't solicit, but I have a stack of business cards in my pocket. So if, <laughs> there I'm you go. There, if I'm sitting there waiting for an exam or whatever, and somebody tells me that they're out of work, then I'm quick to have a business card. Yeah. Know? Right. So. Now, uh, what mistakes are you seeing with the dealers making when it comes to recruiting and the retention of military vets? Yeah. So I think the biggest one is is uh, many dealers have this old school mindset to where, you know, we only hire a level technicians or we only hire master techs and we're, we're only looking for certified technicians. And what that leads to, as you guys know, is that it's a culture of stealing technicians from other companies. Yes. So you're like, Hey, you know, let's, let's offer this guy $2 more an hour. And they may come as a foreman and bring three techs with them. And then they get pissed off and go back to a, that dealer or go to a different dealer. And mm-hmm. it's just this road to nowhere of stealing. Yeah. And what, I, what I'm trying to educate organizations to do now is that, hey, let, let's build like a baseball farm team. Yeah. You know, let's bring in young men and women of character that have mechanical aptitude, maybe some mechanical ability, maybe some tools, maybe some things. And then we train them up the way that we want them to be trained. And I'll, and I'll mention that the, the, the tire manufacturer that, that hired me had a policy. I don't know if they still do this today, but they, they had a policy where they would not hire 
anyone with tire experience because they did not want to unlearn yeah. bad habits. Yeah. yeah, you can't teach an old, old dog new tricks, one of those things. And believe it or not, that's relatively common in the, the construction trades. industry yeah. with the trades now is a lot of guys actually outright prefer to hire new people because you don't have to spend the whole time telling them all the things that they shouldn't be doing. Instead, you well, get to tell them from the get-go. Exactly. Instead, from the get-go, you get to shape them how you want them. Yeah. So my so my talk with with the employer is that hey, let me I'm going to deliver to you a young man or woman uh, of character. They're going to show up to work on time. They're going to do what they say they're going to do. They're going to be problem solvers. They're going to be extremely coachable. They're going to wear the uniform properly. Generally, they're going to say yes, ma'am, yes, sir. And and what one of the most unique comments I've ever had about one of our guys is is they said, uh, you know, this guy's name was Matt, and he said, I won't mention what dealer he's with, but he, they said he is the best writer of service we've ever seen. Like when he writes up his his orders, he is the most detailed guy we've ever seen. In fact, we want him to, like, teach a class on this. Wow. Because of, now, because what was of how his deep. past, what was his uh, military experience? You know, what he was, was a uh, UH-60 or Blackhawk uh, airframe repairman. All right, so oh, he was well, doing write-ups go. on yeah, you everything. you got to have a shitload of documentation. That bitch is going to be running just fine. <laughs> yes. Left wing, ribbit, <laughs> 92. I mean, dude, that's, could yep. you just imagine the billing dollars behind someone like that? Yeah. Yeah, he yep. hit that and, one on the T. And we converted him to a uh, Mack truck uh, diesel technician. Wow. And so, and he's, uh, you know, I, his service manager called me last year and said, hey, we just gave him a $4 an hour raise. Wow. Um, because of how, you know, how great he is, you know, and, and so it's, you know, the documentation. So I, I, I'm trying to get the dealer and the, you know, the other types of employers to look past this old adage of, of industry experience and just say, let me bring you just raw talent that has mechanical aptitude and you build them into the technicians that you want them to be. Well, and that's kind of an interesting place that, that kind of all of the trades across the board are slowly starting to recognize. And I feel like um, business models such as yours are going to only continue to be more profitable and do better because people are finally starting to wake up to the fact that you there are no more qualified technicians out there floating looking for jobs they're they're just they don't exist everyone who is worth anything is working right now and so you do have to bring people in and train them so the goal now is finding people that are worth investing in and i think that's where you've got such a leg up is Mm -hmm. you're supplying people that are vetted that this is 100% someone worth investing money into or time into training because it's going to pay off on the back end. 100%. And if you look at any type of the organizations that we're working with, where it's end user construction, different types of trades, dealerships, there's also a massive opportunity within, you know, and a massive mistake that can be made in the future here with sales and leadership because you've got a lot of salespeople used equipment salespeople, parts managers, service managers, warehouse managers, you know, fixed operations guys that are nearing retirement. Mm -hmm. And most organizations do not have a succession plan for those people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I talked to the veteran, the, when I say veterans, I mean, industry veterans, I said, do you really want to retire one day and go hang out at the beach or the mountains with your grandkids and basically have all the work that you did fall apart? 
Yeah. Or do you want to leave a legacy? So what I'm trying to encourage the organizations to do is like, let me bring in some military non-commissioned officers and commissioned officers and apprentice underneath your 20 and 30 year veteran guys for six months. So when you transition that sales territory or that parts department or that service department, they never miss a beat. Your customers don't understand that there was a transition that happened and that your organization continues to flourish where the dealers and the organization seem to be more short-term minded and yeah. thinking about, I'm going to mm-hmm. save a few pennies and I'm not going to bring in an extra headcount for six months. And then when that retiree leaves, we're going to spend six months to a year picking up the pieces. Yep. Yeah. Now that's interesting. Now with the stats and everything that you guys have created with job placements and stuff, how have you actually seen it turn out now? What could you guys tweak a little bit more? Well, we, um, you know, I, I think that the biggest thing that we can do and we do, you know, frequently is just be upfront with our employers and let them know, you know, like I, I did a LinkedIn post this past week is that there's a very big bias on where service members want to be located in the United States. So there, there's, you know, certain markets where I have dealers and companies begging me for veterans, but they, I, I seldom have a candidate. So like I'll mention, I had a great candidate this past year from Minneapolis, St. Paul, and it was literally the first candidate. She was a female uh, logistics non-commissioned officer, outstanding candidate. And it was the first Minneapolis, St. Paul candidate we've had in company history. Wow. Well, yeah, it's Minneapolis, St. Paul. No one wants to sit up there and freeze their nuts off. They just right. had lakes in Florida. Where'd it go? California? Florida? <laughs> yeah. That'd be the first yes. fucking place I'd run from. We've got a spectacular placement for you in Des Moines, Iowa. We have a large Iowa. fucking mall. It's awesome. Right. We could upgrade right. you to the state of Michigan, where you only freeze half the fucking time. <laughs> So we, I try to be upfront with the employers, you know, going back to your question on like where, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll be glad to bring you on as a partner, but the likelihood of us placing somebody in your geography is very rare. Yeah. Yeah, So we, you you know, we will call you basically a target of opportunity type type employer where, you know, if we have somebody and I have some people like that, if they have you ever come across somebody, call me. Um, But we're typically more Southeast uh, Texas, uh, are huge. Uh, and then and I believe it or not, California, California has a massive, um, military presence. The issue yeah. that happens out there is the, the, the service members think that they can afford to live there yeah. because they've lived, you know, they've lived behind the, they've yeah. lived behind the gates of a uh, military installation, but they quickly understand after about a year yeah. that they can't afford, they can't afford it. Yeah. Once you cross, it's almost like the opposite of, of when you drive a truck off of a lot, how it loses the value as soon as you yeah. cross, uh, in California, Everything costs 10 times more the second you cross the gate. Yeah, it's freaking nuts over there. <laughs> Absolutely. And the other thing I've learned is with the service member is we, we like to, re- we, we don't, re- you know, quote unquote, require it, but we strongly encourage a strong geographical hook to wherever they're going. So I, I asked the service member, where do you want to go? And they say, I'll go anywhere. And I said, no, that's not good enough. Yeah. I need to know your, I need to know your Des Moines top it is, buddy. Right. Get I need those to know those potatoes. Uh, I, know. I, I need to know your top two or three and I need to know why. Did you grow up there? 
did your spouse grow up there? Do you have a family support system? I had a great case, you know, when we first got started, I put a phenomenal army wheeled vehicle mechanic to work as a tire technician with one of our partners in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he was from Southern California and he worked for about a year and then got homesick and went back to SoCal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so it's like, I, I'm, I'm looking for retention issues when I'm placing as well. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, I'm not, you gotta I'm, get I'm some return on your investment. Well, I was going to say, do yeah. these come with a 30, like a 30 day money back guarantee <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, we this do, broken. Not, to get, not, not to get into dollars and cents, yeah. but we do, uh, we do a, not what we call a 90 day promise where we, we share part of what we charge as a fee, yeah. um, to back to the customer if, if something doesn't work out. And so, and, and that's just a check on my team sure. to make sure that our, that our vetting process is proper. Do you do it yeah. in like the Tommy and, boy? And uh, fuck that dude. He ships to Huey. He's like, get the fuck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But we, we don't, I don't ever want our, you know, at, at PSG, we, we say our first mission is to find our fellow veterans a job. Our second mission is to find our partner employers, a great team member. Mm-hmm. And our third mission is to feed our families. Yeah. And so it's a labor of love for us. So I'm trying to set these veterans up for success. I'm not trying to sling resumes. Yeah. Right. And I like that. So how many, how many people are, are, are involved in PSG with you? Cause I was, I, when we first initially met in that, that 20 minute highly blasted meeting there in, in Florida, <laughs> I was under the impression that this was kind of your thing that you were doing personally, but, but it sounds like you've got a whole team backing you. Well, it's not a huge team, and it's a, it's actually a small, very small team now that that COVID has has attacked us. Yeah. And so, the way I've designed my business is I employ military spouses and military retirees. Oh wow! And so and so and I bring them on as ten ninety nine contractors, and so I'm able to scale and slim down the business based on market conditions. Yeah. And I try I try to find people that are doing the work that we do as a like extra income. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they may already be collecting a military retirement. They may have a spouse that's still in the military that's working full time. Yeah. And so, you know, from, a you know, my, like my administrative assistant is an, is an air force spouse Her her husband, she's a veteran, but she, she got out years ago, but her husband just recently retired, but she was a full-time air force spouse and she's in Washington state. Um, and it, you know, I've had some majors that have worked for me, for, you know, that live in different areas. I, you know, I need help when it comes to vetting candidates out. And so I'll bring on people that can work in a, in a part-time capacity that'll help me do the vetting. But I am, as, as you mentioned, I'm the face of the company. I'm the, I'm the uh, chief cook and bottle washer. So I'm, I'm the All chief right. sales guy. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a worker. So I'm, you know, if it's a trade show, I'm going to be there. If it's a military installation, I'm going to be there. So basically my job is to go find all the relationships in the military installations that allow us to have access and gain uh, access to the veterans. And then my second job is to find all the employers that want to hire them. And then I put those two together and then I have support staff that help me in the middle with the, with what I call the weeds. You know, I, I need yeah. help, you know, processing, and vetting people out, making sure you know paperwork's done, resumes are collected, those kind of things. All right. Now, what's something that like dealers should consider, you know, when hiring a military veteran? Yeah, so they should understand, you know, especially with the post 9/11 era, that they may be bringing on, you know, somebody that has 
some different kinds of temperament. Um, so, you know, they, we, we put the, a lot of PTSD guys to, to work in, in, in dealerships and most of them are just fine. And they're actually wanting to be, you know, I had one young soldier years ago and I said, he said, I've got, as a how he came to my booth. He said, I've got severe PTSD. I All take right. medication for it. I'm working for it. We're through it. I've got counseling. I said, that's awesome, man. I was like, I was like, what's your job in the military? He's like, I'm a wheeled vehicle mechanic. I was like, so if I put you in a, in a noisy shop at a Freightliner dealer where you want to move in Virginia, is that going to be a problem for you? And absolutely not, sir. I, I actually thrive around loud, loud noises and it's kind of like, especially when you know what's happening. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And so I like to tell the dealers to be aware that they're, you know, they could be, you know, you know, the guy that invented the Appalachian trail, you know, he invented it and he said that you could walk off the war. It was a, it was a military veteran. Mm -hmm. It was like, some of these guys are literally walking off the war. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you need to be, you know, if they come in one day and have a bad day or whatever, there's, there's a reason behind that. There needs to be a little grace there. Yeah. Correct. And then also, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, as I prepare my veterans, like I said before, uh, as we were talking is that, you know, you can't hold yourself to such a high, you can hold yourself to that high standard, but you can't hold your teammates and your, your, you know, your organization to that high standard. So you've got to be ready. Um, but there, you know, I, my first sales manager in my corporate job told me to slow down, you know, he hired me to sell and he pulled over one day at a hotel and he said, Hey, you know, you're doing great for me and the team. And I just need you to slow down a little bit. You're running circles around the other guys. Yeah. I was and, once told I said, that. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was so, told that when I was working for a union plumbing shop, and I was just going like crazy, getting jobs done like in a day, and it should have took me two months. And they're like, "Dude, you need to slow down. People are getting pissed." <laughs> you know, it was all that right. cocaine you were snorting. That was a different story. <laughs> <laughs> That's never played a part of my life. That's not my lifestyle. Yeah. So, so, you know, they, they, they need to do that. And I think dealers and organizations in in general need to do a better job of onboarding and just, you know, explaining what's going on and welcoming the candidate, you know, to the organization and, and and that kind of thing. But I, like I said, I ask our employers not to just be military friendly, but be military ready. Yeah. I do. That's where we come in. Yeah. I do think it's awesome. Uh, that because you are military, ex-military, you're able to have a very open and honest and comfortable conversation with those guys about PTSD, and they have the ability to tell you about it, and then that that gives you the ability to tell the dealership or whoever their current employer is, hey, just so you know, this is going on. Uh, I feel like so many veterans struggle because they don't have that. The middle oper- person. Yeah, they don't have yeah. that translator in the middle that's kind of letting people know what's going on because civilians as civilians we have no idea what it's like transitioning from being in a war to then coming home and somehow trying to make it normal and i think a lot of these guys need help and they just don't get it absolutely they're just looking for somebody to embrace them yeah Yeah. it's like you know they're coming out and i think that's one of the biggest voids that you have to fill as a veteran is that it's unmatched camaraderie and so one of the things that I try to do on the leadership development side of the house of our business is I try to create these great leadership cultures where inside a dealer group, there's, you know, I'm working with one in Maryland right now and they're doing a phenomenal job at creating just a, this culture of caring about one another and teamwork. And, you know, I said, these guys are coming to you. They came from a place that says, Hey, I'm in the foxhole with you. 
I'm going to go to sleep. You do you have, you know, we say you got my six or your six o'clock. You, yep. you have my six. Yeah. Roger, go to sleep. I got you. And then they they can take a nap and then cover the other guy. And it's like, civilian world doesn't operate like that. It's kind of like I'm punch in, punch out. And I don't really want to get to know you, but if right. organizations created a culture where it's more of a team and you, you know, you're making sacrifices for one another and you've got each other's back that's what they're looking for. And that's the biggest void that they find is that, you know, I had these guys that were, you know, would run across the field and, and, you know, throw, turn over a train car for me. And now this guy in the bay beside me, I don't know if he likes me or not, or what this, what's going yeah. on here. These are their damn social media in my ass. That's right. Talk, talking dirty about you yeah. on social media. Now, Chad, if, <laughs> if somebody was on the fence about joining the military, just a young lad or woman getting out of high school or just struggling in life, what would your recommendation be and what would it be like them taking the steps? Yeah. So I, I, I can't recommend it any higher. I mean, I think for me, it was an awesome experience for multiple reasons is that you, you grow up really fast. You learn, uh, you get challenged mentally and physically and learn what you're capable of. And, and you, and you really discover things about yourself that you had no idea you could do. And, I, and another thing that I really, you know, uh, unfortunately, our country's in a weird spot right now. And I think there's a lot of, you know, talk about division and unity and racism and things like that. But I, I one of the things that I learned in the military is I could care less if you're white, black, Latino, purple, yellow, green. Yeah. Who cares? So it's all yeah. I go to sisters. Sleep. If I go to sleep, you got my back. And there, there's really, I, I, I didn't really see any color in the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was, we were all one fighting force brothers and sisters. And that's what I tell my audiences that I talked to in the military today is that we're one eternal brotherhood and sisterhood of veterans helping veterans. Yeah. And so it's, it's this, it's this crazy, awesome camaraderie that you don't experience in the civilian world. And so, uh, you know, I would, I would tell them to, to go after it. And I would also tell them to find a job that they think that they want to do, you know, if they wanted to be an adventurous combat arms kind of person, do that. But there's a lot of military jobs that are basically springboards to trade jobs. Yeah. So, you know, wheeled vehicle mechanics, track vehicle mechanics, aviation, avionics, construction, you know, engineering, the air force is just full of technical jobs or oh, it's yeah. radio, radar, electrical, you know, there's, there's so many trade start positions. A podcast. Well, I was going to say in the, na- in the Navy, especially <laughs> you start getting into to nuclear engineering. I mean, yeah. you can work on yeah, nuclear absolutely. reactors. So yeah, there's like so many trade parlays that you could just go in and say, I'm going to, I'm going to get a start here. Plus I'm going to get a GI bill where I can go to school if yeah. I need to, when I get out mm-hmm. and then I'm going to have this camaraderie and then I can parlay that into a, into a civilian career. Yeah. They will find a job for you there. That's amazing. Well, we're going to wrap this up with this, but we have one final question for you. If you could go back Bring in it. time, what would be your dream job be? Wow, oh, that's, that's one, a good one. <laughs> the stumper. Yeah. <laughs> so after looking at all the uh, jobs in the military, I, you know, I, if I had the opportunity to correct my eyesight, I would be a Black Hawk helicopter. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I got one of my best friends is a uh, captain uh, in the Black Hawk uh, brigade or whatever you want to call it. 
Yeah, yeah. I would, I would fly. Full He's going to kick military. my ass right here. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he'll call you after this podcast. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, yeah. That wow. oh, he's going to kick my ass. <laughs> now he's a trainer. Todd's going to be over there with the fucking pom-poms. Yeah. <laughs> now, I actually, I, I actually, go, oh, go ahead, Chad. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, I would have flown. I would have, uh, you know, I, I've got a lot of hours riding, but I would have flown and, yeah. and uh, really tried to be part of the, what's called the 160th. Soar Special Operations Aviation Regiment there at Fort Campbell and a couple other installations. They're the guys that insert the SEALs and Rangers and stuff like that. All right. Nice. So I have one final question that is unrelated to all of this stuff. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? If we have some veterans listening that may want help with placement, how can they get a hold of you guys? Absolutely. So our, our, our placement website is PSG, as in Papa Sierra Golf jobs.com psgjobs.com uh, you can reach me personally at chad at psgjobs.com and then we're on linkedin as you can find me as chad miller and then we also have an instagram account at psgjobs perfect now chad one more question for the <laughs> audience that's listening if they are a military vet and they're out in the trades working and they have relatable experience and they would be possibly a good fit for what you're doing can they come to you? Absolutely. Yeah. The only thing we don't do is we, we are not trying to cross technicians across town. Like I'm not going to help you get a job with your competitor. Sure. Uh, yeah. Something like that. Cause we, we kind of hold that as an ethics policy and we try to keep our, our partner employers happy that way. And I just think it's a bad thing to do. Um, but I'm happy to help you move. Like you, you know, I've had plenty of people that say, Hey, I've got a spouse that's a teacher or a nurse and they were moving to a different state and I need a new job and what I'm doing, I'll help you move or I'll help you change professions. Like I want to go from commercial trucks to heavy construction equipment or something like that. I just won't change you from a Freightliner dealer to a Mac dealer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes total sense. Well, again, yeah. thank you for your service, Chad, and thank you for what you're doing for the veterans. Hey, thank you yeah, guys thank you for being for interested time. in it and yeah, bringing me on. I, I love it. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for listening. And uh, as always, shoot over on your Apple platform. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. That'll help out the podcast. Tell a friend. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode of Sweat and Grime. Thanks, Peace. guys. Yeah.